episode one of Rise in Red, the podcast, the official SFU Hockey podcast. My name is Nick Torrin, play-by-play announcer for SFU Hockey. You have Mark Coletta, the head coach of SFU Hockey, and Jake Frederick, our producer and content specialist for SFU Hockey. How you doing, Nick? Not bad, not bad. So tell us a little about yourselves. Well, uh, born and raised in, in Burnaby, British Columbia. Staying home, coaching the SFU men's hockey program for the last, I would say, 14 years. I played over at Plattsburgh State in the NCAA and, and got into coaching after that. Was done. Tried my hand at the professional game and lasted a little bit, but uh, got into coaching, found love for it, and um, brought me through a bunch of different uh, leagues, junior leagues, minor hockey, uh, back at my roots with the Burnham Winter Club, and then to the junior A leagues, and then worked with BC Hockey for a bunch of years. And now with uh, SFU and, and I think my 14th, I think my daughter was born the year, my first year, maybe my second year. So it's been a long time, but uh, definitely eventful. Wait, good way to keep your, uh, how long you've been coaching? Just the age of your daughter. That's pretty easy. Yeah. Easy to remember. Jake, uh, you want to tell us a bit about yourself a little bit? Yeah, so I'm Jake. I've been, this is my fifth year with SFU Hockey. It started off as reaching out to Chris saying, hey, I want to do some video for you guys. And within a few months, I was running all the socials for uh, the team and then a little bit of the BCIHL uh, accounts as well. You know, I've been in control of the socials, so video, photo, graphics, all that kind of stuff. That's been mostly me, uh, except for last year, I spent the year uh, with the Vancouver Canucks uh, doing social with them. And I'm kind of doing this remotely for my fifth year with uh, SFU Hockey. We love that. Made a good job here. It's about nine years for me. That's you. I game play by play and broadcaster. And that's all I do for a living, really. <laughs> yeah, you do a good job, Nick. You do a good job. Um, basically, what this podcast is going to be about is uh, we're going to recap SFU games, where they played, who they played, how what the experiences were like. Um, and then we'll look ahead to upcoming matchups that they're going to have. And then we might talk a little extracurriculars of life and sport. Let's start off, obviously, just coming off last week um, or two weeks ago at this point. Uh, probably the biggest game in program history, the uh, SVU against the Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool experience. Um, you know, we took our lumps, but uh, I think the uh, the experience itself being in the same arena as the Michigan Wolverines and, and even Colorado College, I think SFU hockey at that level is definitely step in the right direction. Our guys first firsthand knowledge now of what it's like to play at that level. Uh, we had, we had people on the road trip that came and saw what it's like to, to be at that level off the ice as well. And all the things that go into division one program at the highest level. I mean, we saw where the bar is and that's pretty cool to see right up close and personal, you know, you can see it on TV and, and you've heard about the Michigan lore forever, football, basketball, any sport, uh, but the campus is, is awesome. It's first class. The people there are first class. Everything's clean. Everything's branded. I mean, if you're on campus, you're wearing something maize and blue. And if you're not, you know you don't belong. So I think that just resonates with the student athletes as well. And it's, it's a real cool experience. Uh, our guys were definitely awestruck for the first two periods. Hence the, the, the little bit of a beating we took and, and the 8-1 scoreline. But I think, you know, if we fast forward to the following week when we went to Colorado, we learned a lot right away and, and, and held our own. So, um, yeah, Yost Arena is all, all, all history, all encompassing of, of what it's like to be in a college hockey arena. The band was there three hours before, you know, the student section was rocking. It, it, it's a cool, cool place to play college hockey. 
I'm I, I'm a big proponent of goal songs. Just get rid of them. Just have brass bands play goal songs. I just think it's fantastic. I love it in college hockey. I just want to point out the eight one scoreline. Yeah, <laughs> me and Jake were talking about this about the game and what what's a good game going to look like for SFU hockey. We were saying even eight one isn't necessarily a bad scoreline for SFU. This is Michigan. They're a top ten team in NCAA, and we are not in remote opportunity of that. But we're like, 8-1, that's not a bad backup. We thought that would be a good scoreline. Well, I don't know. Maybe we called it, I suppose, because maybe we said it too many times. A little like Beetlejuice because we said it a bunch. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know what, Nick? It's like, you know, I talked to a lot of friends. I had a couple of my Plattsburgh former teammates come up and make the trip to watch. We had, we, had, we had some other family and friends there. I think some people at home watched. You know, of course, you're always going to be up against it playing these kinds of teams. You're not recruiting at that level. There's an element of you don't play at that level every day, um, so you're not into it. I mean, this is, you know, Jimmy Camazola and us and, and myself and Jason Krog spoke the other week, and our freshman class know no better. They don't know the competitive level from the BCI, which we played in before, to what they're playing now. So those guys just know the, the direct and aggressiveness of NCAA hockey, where our, our returning guys are finding it hard to get out of those bad habits you would have picked up at, at the BCI level. And, and that's just fact. So, you know, the eight one scoreline is what it is. There's, there, there's fully funded varsity teams from Canada at the U sport level, losing 10, nothing and six, nothing. So I, I thought we did what we had to do. Um, the, the, the losing part sucks and you take it with you and you learn from it to, to say anybody was happy or, or not mad when we lose, you, you know, you don't, you don't talk for a couple hours after a loss. doesn't matter if it's preseason or a playoff game. That's the way I, I look at it. And, if you, if you don't feel that, you know, shame or, or you know, feeling after you lose a game, then, then you're not in it for the right reasons, in my opinion. So, you know, there's there's no there's no silver lining there except the fact that growth mindset. What do we do after that? So hopefully um, the Colorado game was indicative of that and, and five three with an empty netter make it six three. And, and we're in that game a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. It is what it is. Well, who were some of the players that impressed you? Um, obviously, 8-1 scoreline. It's kind of hard to look at players that might have actually impressed behind the scenes, you know, if you look between the lines. Uh, who were some of the SFU players that you were impressed with and um, or stepped up when you maybe didn't expect it to? Well, you know, I think it's 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 one of those things where we have some guys that from the plane why, you know, they played at the D1 level, so they've got some experience. And, you know, obviously Nick Wicks played, played well. Um, you know, you know, Tristan Cross played well. Colby Matthews being a four-year guy at RIT in the net before the concussion um, played played stellar. And, and obviously Henderson coming in halfway through the first, having to to take the barrage of, of, of action cold from the bench. You know, he was he was unbelievable as well. You know, I thought there was a lot of good performances in the sense that, you know, they did some things to to prove themselves at that level. I think the compete level could have been a bit higher. I think we were awestruck again by the crowd. I mean, the ice is frozen in in Michigan, just like it's frozen here in Burnaby. So I, I don't use that as an excuse, and I don't let my players use it either. I mean, who gives a shit that there's a band in the crowd and fans are jumping up and down? You should be motivated to play. So I thought our compete level and and just that energy level wasn't the best all round. But I thought we grew from that, and and, and six days later, we we actually were in a game against Colorado College. Uh, I just wanted to touch on the experience. I mean. Not everybody gets to go to Michigan, whether it's as a student or as a student athlete. What what what's the campus like? What's the arena like? You know, these are huge programs, and you see it all the time on TV and the big budget programs. And 
what's it like to be at one of those universities that's i mean everybody knows the university of michigan so what what was it like at the experience at the campus at the arena and everywhere in between well like i said from the outset the, the branding issue and the, the the way the campus is manicured it's ridiculous like you, you know that's something my dad would do in his backyard i mean the grass is perfectly cut everything's clean there's no garbage anywhere all the buildings are brick and old and refurbished you know they don't tear down many things it's just repurposed you know the old hockey rink is now the gymnastics area the yost is the old basketball arena that was retrofitted and redone in 2012 i believe it, it, everything is clean i mean the, the the facilities they have is second to none i mean the tour we went on we saw the basketball facility the, the three football facilities including the big house yost is, is is tremendous the softball stadium and the baseball stadiums are are second to none um so yeah that experience is just it's cool to see it makes you want to to be at that level whether it's from a coaching perspective or just be in that environment because that's you know if they if the americans do one thing right it's university athletics and, and, and there's no doubt about it that's full stop they're 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 the top at that you know a cool little tidbit was red Berenson came down to the dressing room area and, and introduced himself to, to jimmy and i and um you know such a nice person didn't have to do that you know a legend of the college hockey game you know supported what we're doing really really spoke a little bit about vancouver and simon fraser which he was knowledgeable about and again you know having him come down to chat with us was was awesome so just first class all around i mean everything they do is top level it just it looks like it on tv but it's it's, it's interesting to hear about um that so you've played this game um what were some of the takeaways you took from this game moving into the colorado college game what 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 did you use from that game to move forward ahead and prepare your team uh, for the next game? The, the pace of play, Nick, is just, it's it's crazy. It, you know, we, we've done the NCAA games over the years, you know, a couple Alaska trips and, and a bunch of years ago, Bowling Green and Northeastern and all this good stuff, Arizona State. But, you know, when you're not playing at that level all the time, you come back to the to where you're, where you're most, all your games are played. So, you know, right off the bat, you, you see the pace of play and the way the guys move at that level. It's not like they're overly big. They're not only aggressive. It's, you know, they have NHL drafted guys on the team. They just move so well. They think the game a little quicker. And when you're in that environment, you're forced to do it. And so the takeaway for us was try try to practice and get into modes where we're, we're pushing the pace so that we're ready for that kind of stuff. And, and, and the play without the puck is really important too at this level is just, knowing where guys are filling lanes and Michigan just did a great job of finding bodies and, and sticking to their structure. They're, the one thing I noticed is their defensemen move so well, you know, they, they shimmy off that blue line or they dive in and our wingers were just, you know, which way did he go? Which way did who go kind of thing? You know, the, the line from top gun. <laughs> and so we did it. We had to make sure we did a better job of that. You know, just don't put your head down and run out of guy. Cause he's just going to juke you and you're, and, and you're screwed. Right. So um, that combined with just the way they compete, you know, they fight through checks and, um, you know, we, we, we focused on that. We harped on it. You know, it's, it's a tough week of practice after an eight, one loss and, and guys got to be accountable for that. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you kind of mentioned, I mean, a lot of these Michigan players, maybe not all of them are fighting for NHL contracts or their draft stock, yeah. but their caliber is right there to maybe be seen enough to make an NHL contract. And SPU just doesn't have that yet, which is interesting. Okay. But we're at the Colorado college game. Like you mentioned, 6'3", 
really not that bad when you look at it coming off the 8-1 loss. Colorado College, maybe not the highest ranked team in the world, but right. putting a three spot on and only allowing five, count one extra or six, that's not bad. Yeah, you know, the, the, we traded a lot of shots and, and grade eight chances in the first period. You know, we, we, you know, after the first two or three shifts, we kind of eased into the game. Um, and, and I think Parkey had a breakaway. I think we had a two-on-one. He could easily win one-nothing, two-nothing us, and we, and we were trading chances back and forth. So, you know, it's one of those games where the goals we led up were weren't the best. And, and I think if we if we figure out how to eliminate those chances, um, we're going to be in better position to, to win games like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the scoreline is is definitely you know maybe a little bit better, but a loss is a loss. And again, you, you watch the tape when you get back and you see the goals you give up, and you're like, guys, that, that shit can't happen. You know, you're, you're playing an NCAA game. You know, you take a shift off, it's in the back of your net. Um, so yeah, gotta that consistency thing was the next part of our learning and and and, and growth mindset is. Okay, now we figured out that we got to compete every shift, you know, but we got to do it every shift, not just one or two. Um, but yeah, different, different element, different game, a, a lot more positives in this one. Uh, tell us about the town. I mean, uh, if you don't know where Colorado College is, it's in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, so what what was the Robson Arena like? What's the campus like? What I mean, this is not the most well-known university, especially not in Colorado, especially with Deion Sanders over there. what was what was it like uh at at that arena and and that lifts out and you don't have to compare it to michigan i'm sure you will but yeah it's cool i mean it's small town or not small town big area colorado springs really spread out Uh, air force is just up the road definitely a military town the campus at colorado college very very nice and small reminds me of a prep school in in the northeast united states Uh, i mean i had the, the fortunate luck to go to to Kimball Union up in New Hampshire when I was 17, 18. And, and, and it reminded me of that. There's, I think there's only 2,000 students. It's a Division One men's hockey, Division One women's soccer, and everything else, Division Three. Pretty expensive school to go to, so really small. I would imagine you, you get a good academic education there with the class sizes being one on more, more of a one-on-one atmosphere. But just the, the rink itself is an NHL rink. It's a three-year-old facility. The ice is tremendous it's like you're skating at rogers it's awesome the um the, the facility itself has their weight and training room in it you know the, the 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 video room their athletic room's got everything you need i mean we're when we go to these schools we're treated first class like we have our own you know our trainer can sharpen skates at his own machine we have the you know everything at our disposal as you would at home because everything's given to you laundry's done you know, the dressing room's there. You, you leave your stuff. You don't have to cart it on on a bus on and off and back to the hotel. But yeah, Colorado Springs, cool spot. Um, definitely a, a good play. I mean, they were real good in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think. There were some good players that came out of there, uh, former Hobie Baker winners, and, and they were they were real good. I think you know, Doug Lister is, is a Vancouver Canuck back in the day, went to Colorado College. So yeah, I think they're definitely making their way back to where they need to be. All right, Mark. So now you've completed this game at 6-3. Now we're heading into next week. What are your takeaways from this game in a look ahead to Adrian uh, University and Lake State? Well, you know, it's a challenging feat, which we're trying to do and and get into, you know, back-to-backs now. So it's not a one game and done. So we got to go to Adrian College. They were in the championship game of Division Three Final Four last year. And then Lake State, another good, solid D1 program that's 
you know, we're going to, we're going to have to work hard. It's, it's, it's not going to be easy, but, um, you know, we have some video on both teams and we'll, we'll have to make adjustments, uh, both ways. What, what, are, what are you looking forward to this Adrian team? What, what kind of a team do they have? What, what, what are you preparing for them? Well, I think they're going to be, you know, they're going to be hungry. You know, they're just starting their season now at the D3 level. They're, they're going to be probably fast and tenacious. You know, I, I know a little bit about the D3 market and, you know, they're going to be chomping up the bit to play a team that is trying to go D1, a Canadian team coming in. And, and so they'll be ready to play and prove themselves. And, you know, we're going to have to meet the emotion. I know Bobby Emery at Plattsburgh always said college hockey is a game of emotion and you got to be able to, to meet the other team's emotion or you're going to fall flat on your face. Okay, and Lake State. I mean, going from D three to D one, some might think that's a bit of a drop off. I feel like in hockey, it really isn't. There, there are a lot of D three teams that could be D one, and vice versa. Um, so, looking ahead to Lake State, what are what are you looking for in that game? Yeah, they're going to be an older, stronger, bigger team. Um, we have some video from their Michigan State game last week, so we'll we'll have to to make sure we're we're fine tuning that. Yeah, they definitely have some players. I have a lot of BCHL players that our guys will be familiar with. So. You know, it's a long road trip up in the morning of Saturday to, to after a Friday night game. So our guys will have to be prepared and not 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 like they haven't been used to riding a bus for four or five hours before a game. So, you know, we'll we'll make the adjustments we have to to them. I would imagine they'll be a little more heavy on the pocket and, and um, play more of a similar style to Colorado College. And what 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 do you think the SFU has to do to maybe steal a game here? I mean, they, they they've been an NCAA Division One opponent team. They did it last year against Alaska Anchorage. What does this team need to do to maybe squeak out a win here in this weekend? You know, like I said, it's it's all about mobility and, and being able to move around the ice. The two biggest takeaways I've I've taken away right now, and I chatted again with Jim about it, and actually another another friend that coaches my son team, Zach Hamill, was a former NHLer and played played a lot of years of hockey. The two biggest takeaways are the mobility, not necessarily the speed up and down the ice, but just being able to get to loose pucks in, in short areas and being able to move in a way that they can get around the ice really nice and quick, especially in tight spots as well. But mobility and the brain, the, the hockey sense of this next level is, is key. So those those two things, our guys are going to have to really sharpen up before we get out there and then overall compete. If you're not working hard and you're not competing, which is the the one thing you could control in an environment. And if you can't, if you can't come ready to play and you're not going to work hard, then you've already lost the game. doesn't matter. X's and O's are, are, are in my opinion, you know, they are what they are. We're not reinventing the game here. There's, there's different systems and they've been recycled by coaches and then tweaked and added to, but you know, if you look at the game, the game's still played hard and, and, and you have to be able to, to, to skate and play at that level, I think is the most important thing. Perfect. Well, I think we're all really excited to see how this team's going to do this year. But um, yeah, is, is last thing is that is that a Ryan Smith jersey behind Jake? There is that is that what I'm seeing? I believe it's the mechanical oil Ryan Smith jersey. Yes, it is, and it is. Oh, that's is an solid. ugly. That's an ugly jersey, if you ask me. Not not Ryan Smith being ugly. Uh, the jersey itself. Really, I think the mechanical oil is the best oilers jersey they've ever done. I love it. It's a great jersey. I, I will defend that. The Nike, the Nike 80s jersey when Edmonton was winning cups is the best one. That's one that I am still looking at getting if I can find one. I actually, I have the reverse retro from last year, which is just the same as this one here with, okay. the, uh, with the orange drop. And I, I, I still have a hard time with like the orange oil drop in the middle, but. Yeah, 
that's not it, it's clean but yeah, yeah yeah but yes it is a it is a signed todd mcfarlane era ryan smith jersey maybe that's a topic for our next episode best best jersey any sport i will oh i have days to talk about that yeah that's good <laughs> that's good i like it Okay, but that was almost a perfect segue into <laughs> dump and change where Mark gives opinions about things and I will try to either fight him or maybe agree with him. I don't know how this is going to go. Yeah, the dump and change segment, I think it's going to be big. It's going to be big. I, I think it's it's going to be fun, but I guess we're going to have different topics about on dump and change, but today is um moving from minor hockey into junior hockey different routes players can take the different leagues they can go into and maybe pros and cons about either or, but uh, I guess, Mark, you probably have opinions on this. Let's hear them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think from an educational piece, I think it's really important that parents, you know, of, of kids. And I think this is for, you know, many sports, you know, wanting their kids or kids wanting to play at the next level. And so when you go through youth sports or minor hockey for, for the sake of, of the show, being a hockey focus show, you know, um, the, the, the right questions are, where, where am I getting the right development? Where's my kid going to be able to grow and develop? And I think number one, and, and I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's a sticky situation because it's a race and it's, it shouldn't be. Parents are in a race to get their kids to the next level or to fast track them to a junior team or what have you. So, you know, that would be my number one piece of advice for parents is, if your kid isn't playing junior at 16, 17, or he's not playing academy hockey at 15, don't sweat it. I mean, half of these young men haven't hit puberty yet. They're not at a level where they can get and excel to an elite level. Kids will grow at different ages. You can have a 10, 12 year old kid who's, who's just superior, but by the time they're 15, everybody's caught them. So I think parents, if there are listening and, and, and as a former player at, at a pretty crazy hockey environment growing up at the Bernie winter club and then going through the junior ranks and the prep school ranks and getting to where I got to, I mean, obviously not the NHL level, but I, and then going back and coaching and having a kid in, in today's day and age in hockey, I think it's, it is very important that you let the kids develop. The second part to that is finding the right people to develop them. Minor hockey's changed so much over the last handful of years. And that's a debate in itself with, with what league is great to play in or not. I'll just leave it at if you have the right coaching and the right development, you stand a better chance of getting to where you want to get to. Um, throwing money just for the sake of throwing money isn't isn't going to help your your child out. Um, so finding the right people, uh, if it's, if we're just thinking hockey now, getting them getting to my point about mobility, getting them to be able to skate at a young age is probably the most important. The stick skills and all that stuff. It's going to help itself out and, and you can work on that off the ice, but you, there's no substitute for skating. And, you know, I played soccer for many years. I was fortunate enough to play, you know, my first year at Plattsburgh, I played both, believe it or not. Um, not sure how they found out I played soccer, but I did. And, and um, I can speak to both sports. I think soccer is a different element, a different style, a different conditioning. There's no substitute. You can't ride a bike. You can't go jogging to replicate what that one minute shift looks like. There's just zero. And so you have to be able to skate. And so if you don't learn that at 10, 11, and 12 and find the right people to do that, then you have no chance from going from minor hockey to junior. The second thing I would say, or third thing I would say is, you know, parents got to stay out of their kids' way and let the coaches coach, especially if you got the right coaches. And 
The one thing I know for fact that's changed over the last 30 years, and I have no problem saying it, is if you get cut from a team in today, 2023, and probably the last 10 years, it wasn't like you had to work hard to make the team the following year. When we grew up, and, and I'm not going to use the, I walked to school uphill both ways, <laughs> bullshit line, because it's just garbage. But when we grew up, and probably even as fast as the last 10, 20 years, you got cut from a team, you played on the second team and worked your way, worked harder, mom and dad got your development, and you got to the next level, hopefully the next year. Now, you get cut from a team, and you just go to another team at the same level. Or you don't like the coach or you don't like the team there, you go to another team. There's no risk reward. There's no, I got to work harder to get to a level. So kids are just playing on teams, whether they're academy teams or, or major midget teams or major bantam teams, and just leave one association to go play on a triple A team over there. Well, you didn't make that team. You just went over there to play because you got cut from this team. So I think that's a big problem because when we see them after three or four years of junior, that whole hunger to be, and I'm not saying all kids, um, that hunger, that energy that you play with to fight for a spot in the lineup is not there. You're a freshman. You don't get power play time. You don't get penalty kill time. You're a fourth line guy using hockey terms. That's how it works. But they hadn't been used to that because they would just, go play for another team when they're 15, 16. And then when they got to junior, if they didn't like it, they'd ask for a trade. When you get to college, there is no trade. You don't get to go to the coach and say, I want a trade. So I think that's part of the problem with just youth sports in general a little bit, but, you know, making that jump from minor hockey to, 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 to junior hockey, you really got to play your cards, right? And, and of course there has to be an innate ability of the kid himself wanting to play. Is he out in the backyard firing pucks? Is he, is he asking mom and dad to go to the rink or extra ice? If that, if that child doesn't have that, and we've all heard the stories of Bedard, obviously, most recently, you know, and I can go back to, to when I was a kid at the Winter Club. Paul Korea would be on the ice at six in the morning on Sundays. You know, his mom would bring him to the rink. And I played with Steve on the younger team, you know, and there would be a bunch of guys out there, you know, my brother-in-law included, you know, he's a coach of Langley Riverman in the BCHL, but you can ask Bert, you can ask a lot of guys locally, Paul Korea was there every morning. There's a reason why he made what he did. And if kids don't have that innate ability to do that, you can't force that as a parent. And, and part of that is the environment they've grown up in in the last 20, 10, four or five years, right? With, with tech really taking a toll on kids, I think. And, um, you know, we try to limit tech on our kids at home, but it's, it's a tough, tough thing to do. That's for sure. Fair enough. I, I can say I have played with Steve Korea as well. Yes. It was, guy. it was curling. Okay. I played with Steve Korea. Fun fact. Well, I'll say this. Curling's a tough sport. You, you might watch it on TV, the Briar or the Scotty Tournament of Hearts on, on TSN, I believe. Yes. It's a tough sport. It's not easy. And, and you got to yell. You got to be yelling. So that's one common thing from coaching is you're always yelling and on the ice, on the, on the pebbled, pebbled ice, you got to yell as well. Yeah. My only claim to fame is practicing once with Brandon Hagel. Hey, he's pretty good. <laughs> he's, he's very good. Got a couple of rings, doesn't he? Tampa Bay? No. He, yeah. He came in after. Oh, he's after the rings. He, he's after. He's one of the six guys on that team that doesn't have one. At rip. Well, that's not, they should get him one. They should just get him one. Since he played with you, he should, well, on the ice, you should get him one. Honestly. 
Yeah, no, the, the jump from minor hockey to junior, it, it, it's not as easy as people think. And okay, that's okay, the other okay. thing. Yeah. Uh, I, want, I want to ask you about this because major junior versus junior A and B is very different things. I yeah. talked to a guy who made it to the NHL once. I mean, unsigned for draft free agent person. And I asked him, I'm like, what made you go to junior as opposed to going the college route? And he said, I was a first round pick in junior. Why wouldn't you go? If I wasn't, I probably would have gone the college route. So what you you work at a college. So I don't know if you have bias, but maybe take the bias away if you can. And, you know, what's what's the difference if you're going to major junior, which is the Canadian Hockey League or, you know, the junior A, B or, you know, the U.S. National de- Development type of thing? Uh, well, I'll tread lightly here so I don't <laughs> I don't uh, I don't get myself in a pickle and and then maybe turn turn close doors on potential jobs somewhere else one day. <laughs> but the, the, the bottom line is that there's no wrong or right choice when you're, when you're, when you're at that level and you're, and you're at the capabilities of making a junior, the, the jump from junior to go to the WHL or the NCAA, they're both good options. It's all about the kid and, and what, what their trajectory is. So, you know, the, the stigma of, I guess I could say this, the stigma of, well, if you don't play 80 games in the WHL or major junior, NCAA doesn't play that many games. So, you know, that's the biggest difference. And da, 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 da. I think that stigma's gone. The, the environment of the NCAA, they've ramped up to close to 40 games. The, the training facilities they have, the, the off-ice training they get, prepares those kids for NHL life. Um, so I, that one I don't buy. But, I mean, in, in Connor Bedard's case or – you know, when, when McDavid was going through, he's a, a surefire first round pick. I mean, education isn't on his radar. You go to the OHL and, and you're getting drafted the following year or, you know, two or three years and you, and you know you're at the world junior level, you're, you're, you're going. Where, where I think, you know, the, that whole stigma of, you know, it doesn't prepare you for the NHL, I think that's gone. I, I really do. But you know, if you're an academic and you need some time to develop and you want the school experience and, and, and you're an undersized defenseman and you're going to get extra ice time, you have a couple years to develop and you're playing against older guys, the college route might be the way to go. Um, the WHL, OHL, I believe, is more suited for an NHL style of game. You watch it on TV if you're at the arena. Very take the puck back, D to D, you know, whereas the college game is just a bunch of animals going hundred miles an hour and you know, it's an older game and that's why you see a lot of free agent signings after the kids senior year and they make the jump, you know, they're 23 years old. So they're jumping to the NHL, being able to compete with, with men. Um, whereas, you know, making that jump from, from junior as an 18 year old, how many 18 year olds or 19 year olds do you see make that, that jump? Obviously the exceptional guys with exceptional status, well, they don't, they don't grow on trees and, and they're not, you know, you know, the next Bedard coming out of this area, who knows when he's going to be, you know, the next big McDavid coming out of Newmarket, you know, some of my friends in Newmarket would beg to disagree. They, th- they probably think they're still good enough to, to be there, but uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have one of those guys on the show one day. But what I'm saying is I think there's no wrong or right decision. I think what happens is when you get pushed one way or the other without getting informed, I think that's the part. I think that's where parents get hoodwinked. So my advice would be parents do all your homework, do your research before you sign that contract to go play major junior or do your research before you sign a letter of intent to go to school. Because with the portal now, the NCAA is not a sure thing either. You know, there's kids moving all the time. So all of a sudden you're committed to go somewhere 
and that school decides to bring in four seniors from North Dakota and Michigan. Well, if they're bringing in guys like that, you might not be playing your first year or two. So again, I think the waters have changed with regards to what's better, what's not better. I would just say this, make an informed decision and, and make sure you get everything you need to get to before you make that decision home. Lots of good players have come out of college. I mean, like I think you can say the same about both. Um, there's lots of good players and whatever's. Yeah. Well, what, you, you know, that's it. That's the thing, Nick. I think it's like, you know, when you look at what's better, or what's, what's worse. I, I think that's just, a, you're just, you're just trying to play into your own narrative of what you believe. And, and, and in a game, in a day and age now where there's family advisors at 14 and there's advisors and agents on these kids and their families to sign here and to sign there. You know, I've had a lot of friends, family friends of ours that have kids at 15, 16 now, and they've called me and, and I said, well, you're paying an advisor or an agent. What is he doing for you? Like, why are you asking me these questions? And because I'm going to give them the right answer. There's, there's, there's no, there's no sugarcoating when, when they ask me where they should go or what's right for their particular kid. Like, you know, it's honesty. You got to be honest. We, you know, I think we spend too much time lying to kids in any sport or people in general that we don't even know what the truth is anymore. So I think you have to give the right answer to these kids. And I think these advisors and agents, in most cases, they're good people. They want to find a spot for this kid to get them there right away. That's money in their pocket or, you know, eventually, and, and, and they're taking a chance, you know, maybe that kid gets drafted. Now he's under his agency and away they go. I mean, I get it. It's a business. I just think parents got to be way more informed and make decisions uninformed and not just be, you know, blowing in the wind and, and going this way and that way, because that's what so-and-so did everybody's different. Every situation's different. And I don't, I, I just think the keeping up with the Joneses mentality in hockey is here way here. You know, my kid isn't here. Oh, I got to do this or I got to do that. And it's, it's nuts. And I, and I'll no problem standing on that soapbox either. It's crazy. Honesty is the best policy is basically what you're saying. Yeah. You, you, you take the page out of Simon Cowell. That's, that's what I like to think. You know, he's, Brutally honest on a TV show. Doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or 60 years old. If you can't do what you said you were going to do, he'll he'll put you in your place. And I think I look back at my experiences and now the way I'm coaching. We're coaching 22, 21, 24 year old guys that are getting a great education at SFU. Well, when they go into the real world, there is no pat on the back, you know. And I think part of our job as coaching is not only being teachers, but preparing them for the next part. If they go play professionally and get to the NHL, good on them. Awesome. But 99.9 won't. And if we don't do our job to make sure they know what's going on, then they get into a rut. And, um, you know, you, you see with a lot of hockey players, maybe even myself, a couple of years after college hockey and that little bit of professional I tried to play, I mean, those two years sucked. I didn't know what to do. Do I use my degree? Do I not use my degree? Do I go work? Do I not work? Do I get to try and go back and play? Like, and if you don't prepare those guys for that next step, you know, I've, I failed them. And that's part of, of, of coaching. Well, it seemed to work out for you in the end. And anyway, I think it's a good place. It's uh episode one of rise and red, the official SFU hockey podcast. And I'd like to say that was a pretty good first episode. Wouldn't you? I think so. I mean, I don't know. It's my first crack at it. I don't know. Like to think it was okay. We got a good producer. Apparently, he's, he knows what he's doing, so we'll we'll figure it out. Well, he's the best in the business. But uh, are we doing this weekly? I would I would assume. Ideally. Ideally. Well, ideally, we're going to be back next week, and you can listen to us on uh, Spotify right now, and we're probably going to get on the others 
uh, very shortly. Um, but yeah, check us out, uh, Rise and Red, the podcast, the SFU Hockey Podcast, and we'll see you again real soon. All right, guys.